Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikuchi, and you are listening to the Jazzes podcast. Everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt Mikuchi here. Delighted to welcome you to a new episode of our new series of regular conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call the Jazz's Podcast. And true to our premise, we're delighted to bring to you today a conversation with the ever exciting J.D. Allen, who also appears in one of our Jazz's Vinyl Club compilations. A series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Ace editors that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. J.D. Allen is known for his enigmatic, elegant and hard-driving style and for his passionate storytelling through music. He recently released the second volume to his Americana project, exploring and encapsulating a universal spirit based in roots and reflection. At the central musical core of this new album, released on the 26th of August on the Savant label, is the underestimated but crucial role the blues has played in the history of jazz and how it continues to evolve and influence the art form today. We'll be talking about this new album and more in our latest Jazz Is podcast, so fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. JD, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast at this time. And at the time of recording this interview, you are just about to release the second installment of your Americana series, which will probably be out there by the time we put the podcast out there for all to hear. But just for those unfamiliar with the series, can you tell us about the concept behind it? Uh, it started out, uh, well, well, it's, it's uh, the, the latest release is called Americana Volume 2. And uh, it's uh, kind of a uh, dip back to the um the first album which was a uh, an investigation of the blues namely in the in a line of uh the United States or North American United States tradition cuz i believe blues is all over the world i believe it's the folk music and we all have a type of blues a music of longing and hope so this particular blues uh americana volume 1 was just our investigation i believe it was, it was released in 2016 of the blues versus and its place within the the music known as Americana. I came across a New York Times article prior to that recording talking about Americana and the music of Americana, and they named some notable artists in it. But they, I they, I believe the question was, what is the place of jazz or black Amer black Americans within that uh, context? of the word Americana. So that sparked my interest in um, li linking up with the, the, the blues lineage within the jazz tradition. And uh, so I said, I, I said about uh, the task of actually composing different types of blues, listening to a lot of blues uh, and trying to go back as far as I can 
with the story of uh, uh, American blues as I could. And, 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 and what came about was Americana, which was then I, didn't, I wasn't sure if there was going to be a volume two, but now I guess that's considered volume one. So this is a, a volume two, Americana volume two, which is released August of 26, 2022, is a, kind of a dip back into that investigation based more so on the one chord blues, which was uh, a lot of the stuff was inspired by uh, John Lee Hooker's approach to the blues, usually playing one chord, one tonal center, tell a story of a blues, and some of the recordings from Alex, uh, Alan Lomax's uh, Prison Blues. He did a series of field recordings on uh, chain gangs within North America and their version of singing while they were playing. So that informed this recording a bit. And then there's a bit of a, a, a departure within the album. It becomes a trio album for three, for three tracks, and then it goes back to the quartet situation. Just another take on the same story. Basically using simplicity to tell a story. I think that's it in a nutshell. Speaking about some of the inspiration behind this record, I believe one of the major ones for this particular album was a book that you came across by Robin Kelly called hammer and hoe is that right definitely definitely i mean that that and that that in itself i mean i think it's important at least for for me to try to work on uh something tangible in terms of uh the people element it gives me something to uh play about and to have feelings about so uh the the, the hammer and hoe book by robin uh kelly was uh, it's a book about um the 1930s uh Black Communist Party uh, labor movement actually that started and uh, more or less it was about uh, white farmers and black farmers or sharecroppers getting together and deciding that they, their interests outweighed their differences and they tried to come together and start this movement where they were working together to uh, better their situation in terms of the agricultural situation in oh. Alabama during the 1930s depression. It was the forebearer of the civil rights movement in America. So uh, it, it was, it was, it's a great book to read. I think what I wanted to express that uh, the blues and labor is a people story all around the world at this point. Labor is a big thing all around the world, you know, and right, equal rights for workers and things like that. So that was on my mind in terms of playing and trying to get to something that had a folk element in terms of the melody and structure. So it wasn't about notes or this deep... Uh, harmonic structure and glitter and wow was about a folk element to the music and something that uh, that was inspiring. So it feels like there was something very real that contributed to the birth of this project and the research that went into it. And it's interesting because I came across uh, a quote of yours where you said that if you really want to know about someone, you need to check out their bookshelf and their music collection. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard now. to. to I, don't, I don't know who has a bookshelf. I still do. <laughs> And I'm threatening on getting a watch because I don't want to always look at yeah. my phone all the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it informed, I had a great teacher by the name of uh, Alex Harding from Detroit, Michigan, uh, when I was a youth. He said, whatever is in you is coming out of He always uh, made a point of saying, you know, read as much as you can, talk to as many different people as you can, uh, listen to other stories as possible, and then these stories will hopefully come out of the bell of your horn and uh, a lot of the a lot of uh, i've been fortunate to meet a lot of my heroes and a lot of them that i've met are very well read 
and have a diverse book collection and music selection. So, you know, if you want to get as good as your heroes, you, you, you do some of the things that they do. Yeah. And I also think, you know, I, I think also, uh, that contributes much to the conversation, right? Because I think if part of the role of the arts in the world is expression, it's also about opening other people's minds. I'm down with that, you know, but I, I think everyone has their lane and their purpose and their place and it can interchange and intersect as much as possible. But, uh, I, I think it's fun, uh, to be serious or fun, or fun to be in the know or be uh, inquisitive about things. I think it's important. And I think it ultimately makes, I think it's going to contribute to making me a better player. Uh, returning to the historical and musical aspect that is so central to this Americana project, uh, that which involves the interaction between the blues and jazz and the impact of the blues on the evolution of this art form. Are there any moments in the history of jazz that particularly stand out to you and that kind of testify to this ongoing interaction? Well, that's that's a great question because now I've come to the realization, at least at this point, that, <laughs> I mean, me personally, I would like to think that everything that I play is the blues uh, uh-huh. or has that blues feeling. And that's not necessarily a note or uh or a, a group of notes to create a so-called blues scale. But uh, strangely enough, I've noticed that with at least in uh, uh, the music coming from North America, the United States of America, the blues is actually uh, an arrow that runs through all of the music coming out of there. I, mean, you, I hear it in hip hop. I hear it in R&B, definitely in R&B. I hear it in jazz. I mean, we have the blues, rock and roll, uh, gospel music, and maybe gospel might have been might have been the second place where that feeling had come from. But prior to that, you had the field hollers and things like that. So it's, but I think it's something that connects to everyone. I mean, certainly to Ireland, uh, certainly to uh, lots of places and people who have experienced uh, hardships and 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 have to who have had to. Uh, wear perseverance as an armor you know so mm. it's influential all over the world i can hear it in Ireland. i can hear it everywhere it's, it's our music it's the music of people our particular form of it is blues as we know it but i i hear it everywhere man it's it's, it's a music of yearning a music of strength and perseverance and all of those things so it's not necessarily a cultural thing it is but it's see that's interesting different. because i was going to ask you about whether over the years of research and as a musician your own personal experience with the blues has changed but you basically kind of answered that by saying that you like to think of yourself as playing as always playing the blues uh, so i mean in some ways you've actually become the blues yeah i mean and, and on the record i tried to demonstrate that uh, that was the goal with uh particularly in the media middle of the album where it's not necessarily what charlie hunter the great guitarist we were so fortunate to have on his album he's not on three pieces but they're not necessarily uh blues in the classical sense but i i tried to uh we tried to have a feeling of the thought provoking or or yearning within three tunes within the album very simple you know but the feeling of the blues hopefully would be uh captured by the listeners who, who, who get that far in the album, which I hope they do. <laughs> 
track you are hearing is from J.D. Allen's Americana Volume 2, recently released on the Savant label. Here, the saxophonist and composer explores the crucial role the blues has played in the history of jazz and how it continues to evolve and influence the art form today, and continues this investigation alongside his longtime colleagues Greg August and Rudy Royston, but is also joined this time around by guitarist Charlie Hunter, who shares not only Allen's interest in the blues and its legacy, but they also share similar life experiences. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out Jazz Is Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Is editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we regularly cover in our print version of Jazz Is, jazzis.com and these Jazz Is podcasts. Go to jazzis.com and click on Join Vinyl Club to find out more. And now for the second part of our conversation with J.D. Allen. J.D., speaking of uh, this new Americana album, uh, yes, one of the uh, key differences between the first Americana album and this one is the presence of the great Charlie Hunter. How did that collaboration begin and uh, what do you feel he brought to the table on this new project? Uh, I actually, I mean, I've been a fan of Charlie uh, for years and uh, a few years back, I was in, uh, where was I? I was in Northern Kentucky for a minute, you know, living there. There was, I can't remember the name of the album, but John Ellis was in his band at the time. And uh, I would listen to this album every day. It was, it was, uh, his sound was, uh, very hopeful to me. Put put like I got a, I got a Charlie Hunter story for you. I was yeah. in when was I was in North Carolina and Charlie was playing at this club and I stepped outside and Charlie was playing a ballad. I forget the name of the ballad, but playing so beautifully that me and another guy were tearing up outside of the club. Oh wow! <laughs> we were being vulnerable together, you know, and it was deep. And I and then I was like, yeah, Charlie, Charlie, uh. He has a way of uh, bringing the ice pick to uh, an iceberg without any problems. Uh, so it came about because of a writer, uh, a writer and a, and a radio personality in New York, uh, Greg Bryant. Was I turned out? I turned out to be pretty good friends with Charlie, and I told him of my admiration for Charlie. He made that connection for us, and uh, and me and Charlie talked. We talked about our life experiences, uh, which was oddly very similar. Uh, and we hit it off, and he agreed to do it, and uh, that, that's how that happened. So it was as simple that. as that, right? You just got in touch uh, with him, and that's when it all started. I, I reached out to Charlie, and I asked, would he be interested in uh, doing it? I was uh, I was shocked that he knew who I was. I was like, oh, wow. He, okay, so he made it a little, I was a little shy, but he was like, yeah, I know, you know. And, and I said, you know, I told him about the idea. Um, I was sending... Um, I sent recorders to recordings of stuff that I was checking out to Charlie and the other members of Rudy Royston on drums and Greg August on bass, yeah. just to give them an idea of, uh, of the blueprint where I was at least listening and trying to, to be influenced by, which was, as I mentioned earlier, Alan, Alan Lomax, uh, uh, John Lee Hooker, uh, Skip Jane, just a few people, you know, that I was really checking out. And we went into the studio and, um, the, the tunes are very simple, so it was it was more or less not so, it was about execution, but it was it was more about just trying to capture lightning in a bottle eleven times. 
you know, his 11 tunes on the record. So trying to capture a lightning in a bottle 11 times. So uh, we, we just went in there and uh, I, I, I expressed the energy that I wanted and they, and they executed. Speaking of your trio with Greg August and, and Rudy Royston, you guys form an amazingly exciting trio. Like uh, we talked about the 2016 Americana uh, album, but then there's also the Matador and the Bull from 2012, which is also a personal favorite of ours. And we at Jazz Is are currently celebrating the art of the trio in one, uh, especially including in one of the compilations of our Jazz Is Vinyl Club. So I just wanted to ask you, as a practitioner, uh, what is it about the trio setting that you find so inspiring and that has made it one of your primary vehicles for your creative expression? I mean, also because the sax, drum, bass trio uh, setting can be particularly challenging, I hear. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I obviously have to, uh, to acknowledge uh, Mr. Sonny Rollins, Mr. Ornette Coleman, Mr. Henry Threadgill. I mean, a lot of people have done that, have gone about um, using that format um, I think now it's it's used more or less and it's not so much as a novelty as it once was before. I mean, you see a lot of trios now, which is great. For me, I think I think the trio situation, uh, although there are chord structures happening, I think it lends itself more to uh, less about a harmonic mm. situation and more about a rhythmic and melodic situation, which I like. You know, I think. I, I believe that the, the bass and drums represents actually what's going on in popular music and hip hop uh, yeah. and folk music. It's a very folk uh, approach to playing jazz. So that, that's what I like it. You know, I, I, I think I could, although I do love piano and I love piano players and I have favorite piano players, I think without the piano being involved, it becomes, the picture becomes a bit bigger and more melodic. And, 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 and it leaves more of an opportunity to leave space, like I should in this conversation in my speaking. Space is very <laughs> powerful. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of why I've, I've chosen that medium. You know, what well, sound is personal, but I believe uh, <laughs> with, uh, and I'm always working on my sound, uh, but I <laughs> believe with the, 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 the tenor saxophone trio in particular, uh, there are two uh, points that I think a person should take in consideration is that tone, the, the, the quality of your tone, of a person's tone, and uh, how far do you go harmonically? Because if you go too far in terms of the upper structures, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to be too technical, but if you have a lot of chord tones and and no one is hearing that, you know, if you're gearing your improvisations towards that, it kind of doesn't make make any sense, you know. So right. at least in a trio situation, I just try to keep it very simple, harmonic harmonic wise, and uh, and, and let the bass have more of a melodic uh, configuration to it in terms of how it moves. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, tone and simplicity and the willingness to leave some type of space. That's my yeah. approach that I'm trying to perfect. Trio. Well, JD, it's uh, certainly been a fascinating conversation uh, but I hope you will forgive me for ending this chat together with one question that I simply can't help asking uh, it's such an old-timey broadcaster's question that I'm almost ashamed to ask but here it goes uh, looking back to your discography uh, to the best of my knowledge uh, it begins with an album titled In Search of J.D. Allen from 1999 so my question to you is are you still searching? Wow 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, yeah, I am. I am searching. I mean, I'm searching how to be a better person these days versus uh, any particular group of notes. I think that's the main goal right now, you know, leaving leaving this world and wherever we go, uh, you know, as for myself being a better person. So it has me searching through Audre Lorde, black feminism. It has me searching through uh, the Battle of Blair Mountain, finding out the original context of the word redneck and actually finding out that that was a positive term and the things like that to make me better and, and appreciative of the breath that I take and the people I encounter, I'm just trying to understand. So yeah, I, I am searching. I'm searching how to become a better person every month, every year. You know, that's my goal. Back then it was searching like maybe for a better record deal or searching <laughs> for how to play these notes. But I'm, I'm finding that um, I am the music. We are the music, you know, and, and the, the more that we improve on ourselves and the more that we get up after, after falling down, the better we are as people and the better we are as artists being able to share our explorations with you. So I, I, I continue to search. That's my goal. Till the end. enjoyed our conversation with jd allen his new album americana volume 2 is available now and if you love jazz and vinyl be sure to also check out our jazz A's vinyl club join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you just go to jazzes.com and click on join vinyl club for more and as music from J.D. Allen's Americana Volume 2 plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz Ace podcasting content coming at you real soon. In the meantime, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs>